Gidget wants to find her very own moon doggy so she can get married and reap that sweet, sweet capital gain exclusion when she sells her house. What did Joe and Big Al think, and can they help her find a man? That's today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 426. Plus, is real estate a good investment for retirement income? Is taking out a TSP loan to pay off your mortgage a good idea? Also, the fellows spitball a tax and affordable care act strategy, a fire strategy, well, financial independence, but not necessarily retire early, and they discuss capital gains taxes on RSUs or restricted stock units. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joey Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. I think this is the strangest name we've ever received here on this program. Gidget? Gidget. Yeah, like the surfer Gidget from the 60s. Yeah, Joe, you are aware that was a TV show, right? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no if, so it's from Al's generation, so technically we Finally, wouldn't know, I know about something it. something you don't about entertainment. Wow, Gidget. <laughs> i got to go back to the archives. <laughs> Dear Andy, please see the attached file for some questions for Joe and Big Al. Oh, go ahead. When when this question starts out, look at the attached file. (laughs) That's too much. You know it's going to be a big one. I watch Sunday AM on TV and both 600 and 1360 AM radio on Saturdays. Thank you all for all your wonderful information. Please let me know if you have any trouble opening this. Hi, all. I'm Gidget. This must be the fun. Is that right? Yep. Okay. My preferred pronouns are princess and hey, y'all. My favorite drinks are strawberry margarita and dosecchi beer in Mexican restaurants, scotch on the rocks in Chinese restaurants, vodka martini in a fancy hotel, frosty cold beers, Coors Light, Bud Light, or Miller Light on a hot summer day, red wine on a cold winter evening, tequila sunrise outdoors at sunset, southern comfort when camping out, Long Island iced tea when someone else is paying. Ozu or Uzo. Ar- Uzo, that's like uh, Sambuca. Yes. Or Amaretto or De Serrano when I'm in the mood. Wow. <laughs> we got the whole discourse. <laughs> Essentially, my policy is if it's flammable, I'll drink it. <laughs> we should make t shirts like that. <laughs> that's good. Oh my God. Please note that I'm very strict about no more than one drink per minute. Per minute. <laughs> well, hold on. What should you say? Per, per day. Oh, per day. <laughs> that, that'd be good, though. <laughs> That's projection, Joe. <laughs> Got it. No driving within two hours of drinking. Cool. Yeah. Well, right. so drinking responsibly. I like that, Gidget. All right. Already I like him. Huh. Yeah. Eventually, I will want to sell my primary residence and owe the absolute minimum capital gains. I rule out renting 1031 exchange or a DST. I bought my house in 1975 for $50,000, made $300,000 of improvements to add to the bases. Can take the $250,000 single exemption, and it will likely sell for about a million bucks. Thus, it looks like I have $400,000 in taxable gain and put me in Biden's rich people category. Gasp. No way. (laughs) I do appreciate that this is a nice problem to have, but I just don't think the government will spend my tax money in any better way than I would spend it. The only practical hope I know of for a way out of this humongous tax liability is to be married at the time of the sale to get another 250000 exemption. I can live with paying capital gains tax of $150,000 gain. 
So what are the rules of marriage exemption in this case? In particular, am I being totally serious? And I'm being totally serious about this. And I'm being totally serious. Why don't we pause just one second? So essentially, if Gidget is going to sell her home for a million dollars, and she bought the home for fifty thousand, but but three hundred fifty thousand dollars of improvements. So that's her cost basis, three hundred fifty thousand. The difference between those two, a million and three fifty, is her gain, which is about six hundred fifty thousand. But when you're when you're a taxpayer, which you would be because you're paying tax, single, then you get a two hundred fifty thousand dollar exclusion, or you don't pay tax. So you take the six fifty minus two fifty. And then you end up with $400,000 gain with which you pay tax on. Now, if you're married, you get a $500,000 exclusion. So we'll start there. All right. So she wants to marry. What was Gidget's boyfriend in the TV show, whatever you were talking about? Uh, Oh, that's a good question. I'll check it out. I think whatever surfer was walking by. Got it. How long do I need to be married before the sale? Two years. Yeah. And how long do I need to be married after the sale? Well, let me tell you the rules, which is this. So to to get the full $500,000 exclusion, both of you have to occupy the property for two years and both of you have to be on title for two years. So, and as far as being married afterwards, there, there's no specific time frame. but, but the, the point is, it is whenever you do something like this, it's your intent to be married. If you got divorced the next day, for example, that would look kind of strange, like you just did this for a tax play, which you did. So you might want to not do the divorce right away. But anyway, two years before, and plus your husband has to be on title. All right. The house for sale is titled in the name of my trust. To get the marriage exemption, what if any modifications to the home ownership title must be made? So he needs to be on title. He needs to be on title. I really don't want to amend my trust as that will open a giant can of administrative worms. Got it. Yeah, don't blame me. Okay. Is the marriage exemption still okay if I get an annulment instead of a divorce? Uh, sure. <laughs> ah, golly. <laughs> Can you direct me to where I can meet a single heterosexual adult male who will marry me after signing a legal binding prenuptial agreement? Uh, no, I cannot do that. I don't know. Maybe I can. <laughs> you can. Huh? I don't know. What's the age? Yeah. You know, do you got some age specifications here? Well, you? Maybe we'll find out. Yeah. I don't know. She drinks anything that's flammable. So you- I'm sure I can find a couple buddies. <laughs> By the way, in the TV show, Gidget's boyfriend's name was Moondoggy. Oh, <laughs> Moondoggy. Okay. Moondoggy. Yeah, well, we can go down to Moondoggies and PB. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's where the name of that restaurant probably came from. <laughs> that all being said, additional questions for house selling. In the 1970s, I briefly reported depreciation on my home for a home office. I think I heard I should subtract prior depreciation from the basis when I'm selling my home. That'll increase my gain. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, Will the IRS know about the two or three years I depreciated my house in 1970 on my tax returns if I sell this century without (laughs) accounting for depreciation I took over 45 years ago? Upon audit, yes, probably. They they could figure it out eventually, but it's probably not at their fingertips. Is there a way to stretch out the house sale price over two years? Okay, by maybe having the buyer pay me half on the last week of December and the other half on the first week of January. 
or something like that so that I only have to pay taxes on half the capital gains in each of those two years. Why don't you sell in January and pay the tax the whole following year? <laughs> then you got a whole year deferral. You could because you have it until April the following year. Yeah, right. But she wants to split the gain into two years. Yeah, but I think you're going to get to her tax bracket. I don't think it matters that much. It's still the same tax. You're just going to cut half of it one year. That's what I'm saying. I think she's going to be in the 15% bracket for the whole game. I believe you're right. Is there an exemption, single or married, for a second vacation home? No. Background data. (laughs) Here we go. I live in San Diego. I'm single, retired, 72 years old. And approaching the top of the 22% tax bracket, including RMDs. My pension and Social Security total $70,000 a year. That pays for most of my living expenses. I have no debt. And my little nest egg is about $1.5 million, which includes over $300,000 in Roth, $275,000 combined traditional IRA and 403B, and the rest in a CD in cash. Bless you, Gidget. All right, Gidget, we got to hook up. I got to find you a man. <laughs> Have some cocktails. We'll sign that prenup. In the... well, she's in San Diego. You could actually go to Moondoggies for those drinks. Yeah. And, you know, the strategizing. I just need a small service fee of maybe Coors Light. <laughs> You're not very expensive. No. Yeah. No, I think uh, it, this is a difficult thing to pull off, kids. You're just doing the quick math. Looks like you're going to be 15% bracket, plus some of this will be the net investment income tax of another 3.8%. So let's just round that to 20% federal tax. It'd be not that much. And we'll say state will be roughly 9%, round to 10. So 30% of $400,000 gain is $120,000. So that's what it means to you. Now you're going to pay less than that because the tax will be just slightly lower, first of all. And secondly, you're going to have closing costs, which then you get to deduct and net it against that. So maybe you're going to end up with 950 or 930, 930,000. So your gain might be, you know, 340 or 330, whatever it might be. So it's a little bit less than you think. Uh, Would I go through something like this to save that money? That would be pretty difficult. Now, if you if what, what the the thing that, that that screws this up is the two years that you have to be married and two years on title. So, where are you going to find someone that you're going to trust? Now, I, I know you could potentially do this with a prenup, but <laughs> this could be get ugly quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah, yeah. You know what I would do if I had other investments, you know, I might do tax loss harvesting, although it looks like you're only invested in cash, so maybe that doesn't work. That's it. Sorry, Gidget. You got gentlemen and gentle lady. I have some questions about the role of real estate in a retirement portfolio. My wife and I live in Waco, Texas, and we recently got a new grandbaby in Kentucky. I'm a retired doctor. I like IPA beers. I drive a modest Toyota Corolla. Silver, so it never looks dirty. All right, that's wise. Yeah, it is well, wise. he is a doctor. He's got a couple <laughs> yeah. more years of education than me. Yeah, he's way smarter than me. Way smarter. We have done well to save. So I know we're set for retirement. I'm not interested in tax. I'm old, but I am interested in tax savings. Because I feel that I paid my fair share so far. I'm 67 years old. I have $3 million in a traditional IRA and $8.5 million in a, excuse me, doctor. (laughs) Doctor, get over here. (laughs) Doctor, you are a saver. I've heard real estate is a good is good for retirement income because it produces steady income, but you also have to either manage the properties or pay someone else to do it. And there's no guarantees. 
Wow. <laughs> you start thinking about doctors. I know. Here, here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> so are there significant tax savings opportunities if I buy an investment property in either Texas or Kentucky? Google says I can deduct R&M expenses. Repair and maintenance. And depreciation. Yeah. Among other things. But is it deductible against only rental income or possibly against my total income? Namely, eventually my really high RMDs. I'd rather not have the hassle of trying to rent it out to anyone. I'm going to have the heck. <laughs> what the heck, what is, the heck is, bonus is a bonus depreciation? Oh, that is a it. good question. And finally, in terms of tax, so he's just doing research. Yeah, he's got all these buzz terms. He's got the doc. You know, <laughs> like R&M, expenses, depreciation, that's right. bonus depreciation. Yeah, that's right. I also thought about holding the properties in a trust so they're not included in my future estate tax. Oh, he's going to do an irrevocable trust. Well, he's just, again, just, uh, just a buzz words. Words. Yeah, Let's get it out Come of the Come on, Doc. Here. Come on, let's go. I look forward to the show each week, and I tell all my friends about it. You'll be prime time in no time. Thanks. All right. All right. While you were choked up, you missed the part that he asked, what unique aspects does real estate investing have over other capital assets? Nothing. There you go. It does. Well, let's see. So, Doc, Doc Jerry, here's what I would say. Being a longtime rental property owner since the decade of the 1980s. How about that? We're close to the same age. I'm a little little bit younger. But at any rate, uh, so, yeah, rental properties are great because when you buy a rental property, not only do you get income, but you get appreciation. So you can sort of double up and you don't even have to use all your own money. You can borrow money from the bank. You make a cash flow and you have appreciation. In some cases, you can make quite a bit of money if you pick the property right and you manage it successfully and so forth. But it's a lot of work. It's like running a business. Now, if you just buy one rental property, maybe it's not that big a deal, but the, but it's still a lot of work. There's a lot to learn here. I'm being a landlord and getting tenants. I would highly recommend you get a property manager, even though they're probably going to charge you 8 to 10% of the rent. I think that's wholly worthwhile. You do get to deduct your expenses against rental income, but there's something called a passive loss rule, which states that if your income is over $100,000, then it starts phasing out your ability to take losses against other income. And once your income is over $150,000, you cannot take any current losses. That loss just keeps... It just, it's a passive loss and it carries forward. This RMD is probably going to be over that limit. Uh, yeah, probably yeah, way over. Plus, I don't know what kind of income you have on the other big pile of money you have in your brokerage account, right. but I'm guessing your income's over 150. So you wouldn't get any current tax deduction. You can only net it against rental income. And by the way, you can't take any of these deductions if you're not going to rent it. That's called a second home right? That's a personal asset. So if you want to at least take any kind of deductions, you're going to have to rent it out, hire a property manager. I will say this, if you go to Kentucky, you have a property in Kentucky, you might be able to write off at least a portion of your trip when you go to visit your grandbaby because you got a property there. There's a lot of complex rules there, but yeah, it's a great asset, but it's probably a lot harder than you would think. Yeah. Jerry's not doing it. (laughs) Guaranteed. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it unless you've done it and and are really into it. All right. Thanks, Doc. We've got some free resources on real estate investing as a source of retirement income in the podcast show notes for a more in-depth exploration of the topic. Watch Big Al's webinar on alternative retirement income sources, real estate and beyond. 
Listen to a previous episode that dives into the nitty gritty on things like cash on cash and cap rate and download 10 tips for real estate investors. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app, go to the show notes, access these free financial resources, and click Ask Joe and Big Al on air to send in your money questions as an email or a voice message like this one. You click on that button, that works 25% of the time. Hey, lately it's been working pretty good. That's what I was going to say. I think we, we maybe we got her done. 25% of the time? Yes. Of course, now that we've said that, it's going to jinx the, problem, well, the entire thing. Over the last few years, that's an accurate statement. All right. What do we got? We got uh, we got Jake. Joe and Big Al. First, I want to say thanks for all you do to both educate and entertain us every week. I'm considering taking a TSB loan to pay off my existing mortgage. The current loan balance is $45,000, and I intend to take the loan for 48 months which I would be paying myself 4.125%. I understand I could possibly be losing additional gains for the amount borrowed, but the savings of my current loan of 3.5% plus the 4.125% saves me a lot over the term of the loan. Am I missing something that should be considered? Okay, Jake, thank you. All right, so he's got he's got a balance of 45 grand. Correct. We don't know really what his payment stream right now. If he wants to take a TSP loan, which you can do for up to 50 grand. So he's going to take a loan out of his retirement account to yeah. pay off his mortgage. And then he's going to pay back his retirement account, which is allowable. And in essence, pay himself interest for that. Which I'd be paying myself 4.12% because that's the that's the rate on the right in essence you're loaning yourself money from the tsp so you pay yourself four percent and you save 3.5 percent. i personally wouldn't do it i wouldn't do it either and the reason you're you're stripping over <laughs> i mean there's that just go ahead and make more payments on the three and a half percent it'll get paid off quicker that's a lower interest rate plus you lose potential market upside when the market's down it's not like you want to take money out right now while the market's down because there's more chance of recovery furthermore what if you get laid off all of a sudden this loan is fully taxable if you can't pay it off in in a lump sum it's a tsp oh he's not getting laid off <laughs> just it works for the government but what if he did yeah i suppose why would you not do it? I don't know because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It seems like a lot of paperwork, a lot of hassle. Yeah, for a couple of bucks, right? Um, so you're taking forty five thousand dollars out that I had pre tax going in. So I take a loan, then I have after tax dollars paying off the loan, but I am paying myself, but I'm paying taxes on those dollars. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know what the true. I mean, yeah, you, I, there, I, there's an arbitrage here of some sort, but it's. I don't think it's worth the the headache i would totally agree with that but jake go for it i don't know it's an interesting <laughs> question it, it is you can do that there's not a problem technically i don't think i would do it just for the reasons i said but the one you said is a perfectly good reason too which joe which is what's the benefit not that much really yeah you gotta get my <laughs> hp out at the little, end of it, I don't know. A little bank arbitrage. <laughs> you're up right. 600 bucks. I don't know. But if, the, if you're taking money out of the TSP that could have earned a higher rate of return, should the market recover? Right. I mean, we don't know when. Everything could just net out <laughs> even. It could. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, interesting question. Thanks, Jake. We got, hey, YMYWT. <clears throat> uh, John from LA. Lower Anderson, South Carolina. You know where that is? Hell no. <laughs> I would love to go, though. 
I wouldn't. It was, it was it named after your family? It could be. Regular listener. This is from 2019. Wow. That's, that is a long time listener. John. That's not just a repeat one time. That's not like, hey, I let I, you guys go and came back. Yeah. Great financial info and always hilarious. I listen to you guys. Includes Andy's on my earbuds, and my wife gives me the funny look when I just break out and gut-busting laughter. Oh, yes. I like to provide laughter if we can. Yeah. Drive a 20, 2006 Hyundai Sonata. 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 With $250,000, 250,000 miles. And my drink of choice is Natty Light. Now look at John. Lower Anderson. Yeah. Of course, he likes Natty Light. Right. I'm 60, make $100,000 a year. My wife's 62, retired, making $27,000 combined Social Security and a pension. Contribute $20,000 to my 401k, seven to the Roth, seven to the HSA. Currently have about $870,000 in the 401k, 200000 in the Roth, and one hundred forty dollars in the brokerage account. My plan, retired 63. Wife will then be eligible for Medicare. Use 60K from our brokerage cash accounts, plus my wife's $27,000 of income to fund our annual income need okay <clears throat> i calculate this would reduce our income tax in aca by twelve thousand dollars a year if i use approximately one hundred twenty thousand dollars from our brokerage cash accounts over two years and save twenty four thousand dollars in income tax and aca premiums that's roughly a 20 percent return then i'll claim social security at 65 for my benefit of thirty two thousand combined with my wife's at $59,000 total, then switch to Roth conversions up to the 12% tax bracket, probably 15. I understand that supercharging the Roth early for growth is the goal, but seems for me to just keep feeding up to the 12% or 15% future tax bracket with Roth is my best option. Time and spitball thoughts on my plan. Cheers, John. So... <clears throat> He's looking at a, a couple year strategy to yeah. get the Affordable Care Act, the ACA. Yeah, it's a, and it's a credit on your health insurance premiums uh, from the government if your income is low enough and poverty level is what they talk about. And right now for 2023, it's about $20,000 for a family of two. So he's trying to keep his income low enough, still maintain $100,000 of income, but he's going to take it from his brokerage account right. or cash. Sure. Bleed that out. Let his IRA continue to grow. Yeah. And so therefore his income on his tax return will be low. So he'll qualify for the full ACA credit for health insurance, which he's computing to be about $12,000, which could be. So that that plus other taxes. So the question is, should he do that or should he pump money into Roth early and kind of do it? Well, so, John, what you're suggesting does work. However, here's what you may not be thinking about. So if you do your Roth conversions when you're taking Social Security, your Social Security, which would be otherwise mostly tax-free, now when you do a Roth conversion, you're going to make the majority of your Social Security payments taxable, which means it's not really a 12% bracket because you add a dollar Roth conversion you're adding up to another 85 cents of social security that is now taxed that wasn't previously taxed, which actually, if you do the math, puts you in 20, 20, 20, 27 or something. Yeah, it was, yeah, probably 
used to be it's probably like 25 24 24 25 percent so it's a higher it's a higher effective rate and if you don't believe me put it on TurboTax and try with and without with your social security numbers you'll see you actually end up paying a lot higher tax doing those Roth conversions than you think so I'm not sure I get what you're doing and you're trying to save taxes and that's completely acceptable, but I'm not sure you're going to get the best answer. I think your better answer probably is to just do some Roth conversions. Not so many that you're never going to be in the 12% bracket, but just kind of do some analysis to figure out how much to convert between now and RMD age to figure this out. Because he's not going to do any now, then he's going to claim social security at 65, then he's going to do the conversions, but he doesn't have any other income because now they're just living off of the, their social security, basically. I, I know. So the social security, if all you have is social security- It's tax-free. It's tax- well, what, what, it's, It depends on the amount. It's provisional income. It's provisional income. Some of it will be taxed, but then they have the standard deduction, which will clear that out. But once you start adding Roth conversions, you're going to be paying more tax than you thought. Right. You're not going to be in the 12% tax bracket. No, it's going to be effective rate much higher because of the fact that you're, yes, you're in the 12% bracket, but you're adding extra income to that. Right. $1 of income is adding $1.85 of income. That's right. And people always look at us. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And actually it's like the 27% that I used to say, that's when the tax rate was 15. So it's probably, it's probably like 20 to 22% tax rate, something like that. All right. But 19 since 2019. Well, thanks for your listener. Awesome. Hopefully that helped. Clears mud. Now it's your turn. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes. Then click Ask Joe and Big Al on air to get a retirement spitball analysis of your own. Tell the fellas your relevant details like your name, ages, and location. The name can be whatever you like, but the ages and location should be real, especially in case state taxes play a role in your spitball. Also, let Joe and Al know when you and your spouse, if you have one, want to retire, how much you think you'll need to spend annually in retirement, how much you make and save now, what you already have saved, and into what types of accounts, 401k, Roth, brokerage, etc., and any other relevant financial details. We also want to know the irrelevant details so Joe can better visualize your situation, how or where you listen to YMYW, your drink of choice, your pets, what you drive, and anything else you want to share. Because as you know, this show would not be a show without you. At the moment, 14% of the folks who listen to YMYW are not actually following the show. So if that's you, follow Your Money, Your Wealth, and your favorite podcast app so you'll know when Joe and Big Al spitball your situation. Hey, Al, Joe, and Andy, I discovered your podcast in 2022. I've been your faithful listener since. I really like the task, tax aspect of investing in retirement in your podcast. I'm still in the process of learning to enjoy drinking beer and wine. He's in the process. Yeah, you don't have to. It's an optional thing. I think it's a requirement. <laughs> no, it's uh, probably healthier to stay away from. Oolong. What? Oolong in green tea are my favorite part. What's oolong? It's a type of tea. Yeah, I actually was curious because I like tea also. It's from uh, Taiwan. Ooh, oolong. Yeah. Yeah. I don't The only tea I have is a little Long Island. (laughs) (laughs) That I guess. (laughs) As you've guessed, the drive 2017 Honda Civic. My question is around the tax penalty from capital gains. Here's the situation. I have received RSUs, restricted share units, quarterly with my current W-2 income. In the last three years, when I sell my RSUs with long-term capital gains, I would owe the tax, interest, and penalties. 
Later, I realized I was supposed to pay the tax quarterly on the capital gain. But I have questions on the following individual scenarios. Do I need to pay the quarterly capital gain? Maybe. Okay. I'll just start with that. Okay. It's got one scenario here. Assuming my taxable income is above 12%, sales stocks in January with long-term capital gains of $1,000 and sales stocks in February with long-term capital loss of 1000 that's... And then the next one is same, except selling in July instead. Okay. Well, first of all, by year end, it's same, same. It's so wash. it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no gain. There's no. A, a gain and a loss yeah. equals zero. I right? mean, I guess if we're getting to semantics, you would have a higher estimated payment in the second scenario for Q1 because you didn't have that loss, I suppose. But you would get a, would you get a refund back? Well, you would just have a lower estimated payment the next quarter and make up for it. So it's not a very big deal. Assuming my taxable income is above 12%, sell stocks in January with long-term capital gains of 1,000 and sell stocks in July with a long-term capital loss of 1,000. So now he's just extending it because he had a gain for six months and then the loss happened six months later. Right. So does he have to pay the quarterly estimate on the $1,000 gain in that six months? Well, so we should just talk about how this works in in the first place. How many more scenarios does he have? He's got 15 more scenarios. There's 12 months out of the year. Well, then there's another 12, because what if he sells 1,500 of loss? What if he does it mid-month? That might change. (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's just like the social security strategies there's 8900 approaches depending upon what day you do by selling but january 1st or uh the july 1st and then how about january 2nd oh god yeah so here's the rule the rule is this so most of us we have a salary right and you have withholding on your salary and that covers your taxes hopefully and you get a little refund at your end that's the most common case Now, when you have other income besides salary, then you may not have enough withholding and you might have to pay your taxes quarterly. That's called estimated taxes. And it's that's now gets to be common for retirees because they don't have salary. And you pay those estimated taxes four times a year, Q1, Q3, and four at odd dates. Three of them are after the quarter, one's before the, that's a whole nother story. But anyway, you got to pay four payments. So oftentimes your income is similar. So you just pay the estimated payment at the same time if you have to. Uh, And sometimes your income is higher in one quarter, right? So in other words, if you get high, if you have a high income, like selling an RSU potentially for the gain in the first quarter, you might have a higher estimated payment the first quarter, right? And then probably similar payment the rest of the year. On the other hand, if you pay if you sell it in December, you'd have lower estimated payments for the first three quarters, but then you'd have a bigger one to make up for the lower payments in the last quarter. So it's just a timing thing. If you're trying to do a capital loss to net against the gain, yeah, theoretically it'd be best in the same quarter. But at the end of the day, who cares? Because after the year's over, those losses net with the gains whether you pay too much here or too little here in nets together, you're in the same spot. So I wouldn't get too worried about that. One more thing too is if last year's tax, if you're withholding this year is greater than last year's tax, you don't have to make any estimated payments, even if you do owe. So we could go through that whole can of worms for the other 65 scenarios. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my answer. Uh, Oh, Jerry, thank you. 
from uh, Redmond, Washington. Yeah. Redmond. We got Jim. He writes in from Washington State. He goes, hey, Joe, Al, Andy, got a spitball for you. Background, 31, yo. Single, but in a serious relationship with marriage and the plans. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know, Jim. Be careful. Partner's 33. Currently rent, but looking to buy in the next couple of years. No kids now or in the future. That's what I thought too, Jim. <laughs> I thought that exact same thing. The next well, thing you know, you hit your forties at that age. That was then, true, but now this little nasty pandemic happens. Yeah, then you're just with this person all the time. Yep. Now you've got little kids, and you and you got yeah. got a cold all and the then, time. Yeah. Then I, yeah. Then you get the sniffles, and you get a little <laughs> cough that never goes away <laughs> because it's a different. Bug every every yes. week, and then you just load up your garage fridge with cocktails, and you <laughs> say you have to go work on your car for a little bit, and just hang out in your garage. I got it, and then you take it to the mechanic later <laughs> during lunchtime at work. I got it. I'm I'm on you. Uh, current income two hundred thousand dollars base with one hundred twenty thousand RSUs per year, depending on the stock price. For total compensation of three hundred thirty thousand. Partner makes about one hundred fifty thousand base, seventy thousand RSUs for a total comp of two thirty. Household income, five sixty. Wow. We spend current household spend is ninety eight thousand four hundred thirty seven dollars and forty six dollars forty six cents per year. What the hell is wrong with you, Jim? <laughs> yeah, let's just say a hundred thousand. Game on you. Good, good enough. <laughs> he can't be serious. <laughs> Give us a number like that. Well, that's what his quicken said for last year. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh savings. I save twenty two thousand five hundred dollars in a pre tax four hundred one k thirty six thousand nine hundred in my Megatron garage door Roth. <laughs> I know you are a listener, Jim. Sixty five hundred dollars in a small back door Roth, maxing HSA, and the rest in cash. Yeah, like it. Okay, girlfriend is saving in the same order with her excess. Okay. Current balances. Current household balances are forty thousand dollars in cash, two hundred eighty-seven pre-tax, four hundred one k, two seventy in Roth, four seventy in a brokerage for a total of one million dollars. But he says one million sixty-three eight hundred thirty-five dollars and ninety cents. So that was as of yesterday. That was yeah. Can you timestamp this thing? <laughs> it's well, hold everything. We that's before market close today. He's going to be pissed when he listens to this because it's, it's going, going to be, be like way out three of weeks after he wrote this thing. And he's like, wait a minute. My balances are nothing like that. <laughs> we are a couple of those fire kids here about fire. Oh, financial independence retire early. All right. With the goal of being FI. Oh, God. Financial independent. Oh, I don't know if I can finish this. <laughs> I like FIP. Uh, not looking for fully RE. <laughs> Retire early. <laughs> he wants to FI by 35. Oh, he wants to yeah. FI by 35, not looking to fully RE. Oh, so, I'm going to gag. I need a cocktail let, right now. Let, just... let, let me guess. He's going to do blogs and how to FI uh, oh, early. God. But looking to distress or distress. <laughs> a little in a different field. Wondering yeah. how we can look to generate income from the portfolio to allow us to make that jump to a lower salary or hourly positions. Do we need to start diversifying into real estate to get some rent payments? How do you two feel about real estate crowdfunding sites to diversify and generate some income? Looking at ways to get some cash monthly 
without selling investments at our young age. Love to have, hear any ideas you have on how we can structure our investments to support the FI goal, yeah. but not the fully RE. Right, I understand. So they're going to make some income. Just want to de-stress a bit. Drink of choice is an epic day IPA from Eddie Line Brewery or Coors Latte if yeah, it's that, before five. Oh, that's the day the, the day drinking no. Coors Light. Before five? How about <laughs> drinking before nine? <laughs> I don't think Big Jim touches anything like that. <laughs> they have two dogs, a nine-year-old Catahoula. Wow. Cat, is that right? Catahoula? I guess so. And a 10-year-old Australian cattle dog. All right. Wow. Drive a 2017 Toyota Tacoma and the GF is 2016 Mazda CX3. Love listening to the pod on the long dog walks through the misty rain soaked mountains of the Olympic Peninsula out in Washington. Yeah. That's a pretty area. Oh, that's very I've nice. Been there, but hike there. Okay. We got a little fire on our hands here, Big Al. Yeah, we do. It's got a million bucks. Congratulations. That's, Hell of a saver. That's, got a ton that's of amazing. income. Yeah. You're 30. One years old wants to retire at FI by 35. Got it. You're gonna go bananas. <laughs> what do you mean? How do you retire at 35? I mean, even if you had all the money in the world, you know what well, happens with trust fund babies that retire at 35? I they know. turn into a-holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but first of all, he's made his own money, wasn't given. There's a little different category there. Sure. And secondly, he doesn't want to completely RE. Got it. <laughs> so he's going to make some income. So how much money does he need? He wants to. Well, he wants to spend a hundred thousand, or is it ninety nine thousand? What's your? You got ninety nine thousand eight hundred thirty two dollars and forty two cents. Let's let's say a hundred thousand. Okay, so at thirty five, if you're going to use your portfolio, what would you say? Two percent. <laughs> yeah. Two and a half percent max in terms of a distribution rate. He needs three million. Yeah. Three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. Even, so even four. Or, right. Well, he's not going to fully re Al. Well, I know that's. So a, let's see if he. Well, so him and the GF. Yeah. Right. Maybe they they do something and they get a little part time work making fifty grand. Yeah. So now so you they need, need another fifty. Okay. So and even to be generous, divided by three percent. One point seven. Yeah, one point seven. A couple million, million and a half to two. I million. would say two million bucks. He needs another million dollars to. Me too. To really. Kind of, he wants to de-stress. Yeah. Right. So what is that? Yeah. So I, I would say you're halfway there to your your goal. But what they're making and saving, I don't know. Maybe you get there by then or or close, right? Well, let's do the math. I mean, but you get there's taxes, right? So you got to factor all that in. But what are they saving? Like hundred thousand dollars a year? Well, let's, let's do it the other way. Five sixty of income. And then let's not even worry about savings. Well, some of that's pre-tax, tax savings. But let's just say taxes are on that, I don't know, we'll, we'll say 160 <laughs> So 400 left over to save, potentially. Well, then they're spending 100 so it's 300 300, 300 to save. So you could theoretically, and let's, let's say you need a couple million dollars, you could theoretically be there by your goal of age 35. If you're able to make 50 grand a year on your uh, other job, yeah, your other profession. Yep, I agree with that. But here, here's the other thing, though, I would tell you as an older person, <laughs> when you can make this kind of money, I might just do this for a while to bank more resources so you have more options in the future. I might go past age 35 and end up with more than 2 million just because it just gives you a lot more options. That's just me, an older person. 
this is your father speaking to you. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, you're so sentimental nowadays. Big because guy. I have a son who's 30 and a son who's 32. So I sort of get the age group. But anyway, you've done great. Uh, you've done fantastic. The profession that you and your, your girlfriend are in has really paid off and you've saved a lot. So congratulations to you. I do think you are a great candidate for retiring early or FI, financial independence. And so I think that's great. I would just hate to give up this opportunity. You you may never find it again. Right. And if they can just gut it out, I, I would 10 be, more years. Yeah. Or even to age 40. That, that's, right. That's what... I, just I, keep banking because you're making a ton of, I mean, they're in the top 1% of, I know. of I know. wage earners. Yeah, I think you would make your dad happier <laughs> and your mom <laughs> if you did that. You'd make the gal happy. And me too. But I think you're close, Jim. You know, congrats on all your success there. But, I mean, the, the, the guy's to the Nats ass on his spending yeah. savings and everything else yeah. i'm sure he's run the numbers yeah but it depends i mean but but the same thing is when you retire at 35 you can't use a four percent distribution you gotta use a two yeah and the reason is because the four percent came about right retiring at 65 and, and maybe living to 90 max so it's 25 years not for your time frame too many things can go wrong yeah thanks jim show's got your money well your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule a free financial assessment in person at one of our seven offices around the country or online at a date and time convenient for you no matter where you are. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.